Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Listen up, Squares. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. It's where us normal people go for websites. I don't know. You can go there if you're weird, too. Squarespace is the place for not just a website, but a whole web thing. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand or growing your business online. Go to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand. They'll give you a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. That'll get you... 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, squarespace.com slash CanadaLand. There are three big laws that Justin Trudeau has promised Canadians. Each one is intended to regulate a different part of the internet. On recent episodes, we've explored two of them. C-11, the Online Streaming Act, which deals with how Canadian content, like TV and movies, will be funded going forward. And C-18, the Online News Act, which is an attempt to do something about the financial crisis that is afflicting the news media. Both of those bills have been tabled and are on their way to becoming the law of the land, for better or for worse. But there is a third law that Justin Trudeau has promised, one that doesn't have a name or a number yet, because the bill itself does not exist yet in any form. The tentative title that's getting tossed around for it is the Online Harms Bill, and it might be the trickiest one of the bunch. Because, like, what is online harm? 
Broadly, we've been told that the goal of this coming legislation will be to tackle hate, abuse, child exploitation, and threats online. But experts who advised the government on the scope of this coming legislation also said that something must be done about disinformation. So you can see why the Trudeau government might be dragging their heels on this one. You know, when Pierre Polyev says that Bill C-11 is a woke censorship law, well, it's hard to find anything in there to back that up. But this third law, a law that hypothetically could stop people from sharing their personal views about things like vaccines, well, that would drop the gauntlet for a fight that the prime minister might not be too eager to have at this particular moment. Meanwhile, people are suffering. 20% of Canadians say that they have faced online hate, harassment, or violence, according to an Abacus data poll. But is a new law the answer? I mean, we do already have laws that criminalize threats, harassment, and certain kinds of hate speech. The problem, according to a lot of people who have reported crimes like that to the police, is that those laws are seldom enforced or even taken seriously when the harms occur online. We've been covering stories about online abuse for years, especially the abuse that is increasingly directed towards journalists. And those stories always seem to go the same way. The cops shrug it off, say there's not much they can do, and advise victims to, you know, just lay off the Twitter if it's hurting their feelings so much. As I said, that's often how these stories end. But today, our audio editor, Tristan Capicione, is going to bring you a different kind of story. Because this is that rare case where our criminal harassment laws were actually enforced. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Sandra Chiaviti, Gabriel Seller, Leigh Niwa, Cassandra Van Engelen, Jessica Dunfield, Christine Saltzman, Joanne from Blue Mountains, and Ashtwin. Hey, my name is Ashtwin. Um, I'm a clinical project manager and a swimmer. I support Canada Land because I enjoy the Backbench podcast, so it's different panel of guests as well as shortcuts where Jesse is not afraid to dive into more difficult topics. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the CBC Vancouver studios. I'm Jody Vance. Thanks for sticking around for this Western Conference final game four edition of Seeking Stanley. Welcome back to Breakfast Television, everybody. It is 840 and this might be my favorite segment of the week doing news. It's all very serious. Welcome back to Steel and Vance. We got a bunch to talk about as we're getting busy politically locally. My name is Jody Vance. I'm a freelance broadcast journalist. I started my career back in 1988. I started in radio, driving the community cruiser, and worked my way up uh, into the promotions department, continued to uh, beg, borrow, and steal to get an opportunity to go on air. I worked in radio for almost a decade and then made the jump to sports television, ultimately moving from Vancouver to Toronto, where I was given the opportunity to be the first woman in the history of Canadian television to host her own sports show in prime time, which I loved. When you get into broadcast, when you get into radio or television, you do it with a knowledge that you're going to need to have 
a thick skin or a veneer or some sense of armor, because the whole idea is that not everybody's going to agree with you. That's what sparks a conversation. That's what used to spark a healthy debate. When I started in television, most of the communication and even the unwanted communication, it was more in a romantic or I'm in love with you. We have a connection. I feel like I know you. Creepy stalkery as opposed to, I hate you, get off my television. Having had a number of stalkers when I was working at Sportsnet, people who would send me flowers. There was somebody who sent me four-leaf clovers and letters written in green ink. He actually used his real return address, so it was easy to get a cease and desist there. I had one other stalker who actually got into my house. That was scary. That's what changed when I had to move from my little rental attic apartment down at Young and Bloor to a safety deposit box in the sky where I had a concierge who wouldn't even let you know, my boyfriend in without calling me first. The fiber of my being forever changed when I had somebody break into my home and go through my stuff and come back the next day. They didn't steal anything, just move stuff around. They just wanted me to know that they have access. And I think that the want to make somebody else fearful is an odd trait that has become ever more prevalent in the day-to-day of the lives of those who try and become a part of the broadcast media. It's very scary. There's this idea that coming at people who appear on your television or you hear on your radio is okay because they signed up for me to yell at them or they've signed up for me to spit vitriol in their direction. And, and I think the humanized piece of, of media is lost if we don't push back on the narrative that we're free game because we're not. It's daunting. It's, it's not all fun and glitz and glamour, this media business, let me tell you. Jody has been in this business a long time and has been able to manage her stalkers and harassers before. But starting in 2015, someone else entered the picture. So things began about around the time that Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president of the United States. I was filling in on CKNW in Vancouver, so I didn't have my own show. I have a public email address as part of it for listener feedback, and I get lots of feedback. I get people who disagree with me, and that's fine, and I get people who agree with me, and that's fine, and and I'll typically respond to a listener. But there was one listener whose emails were harsher than usual. And he crept into that sort of normal back-and-forth communication while I was filling in on radio and wanting to have an open dialogue with the listener and give the listener a voice. But his were meaner. They were all caps and vitriolic wording. He started to use terms and words that were like, okay, you know what, how about you stop? So I replied to him and I said, please stop. And he replied again and I asked him to stop again. And I said, the third time, if you don't stop, I'm going to take extra steps. I'm going to report you to the company. I'm going to report you to law enforcement. And he basically gave me the good luck with that, which in Jody Vance's talk are the most motivating words you can say to me. And then I hit block. Blocking one account only led to Jody getting similar emails from different anonymous Gmail addresses. She suspected they were from the same guy, but she couldn't prove that they were. 
She had blocked these new addresses too, but then new similar messages would come from yet another account. The emails contained the usual name calling journalists frequently receive these days, like being called fake news and a Bolshevik. But over the years of unwanted emails, Jody also received more direct hostilities from her harasser. He threatened that she and her son would be the victims of quote, crimes against humanity once Trump wins, and was warned that her own crimes would not be forgotten or forgiven. To describe this coming punishment, he sent her a photo of a concentration camp, and the fake email addresses he created were themselves a kind of hostile misogyny, with sexually suggestive titles referring to Jody. So in 2017, after two years of aggressive, hateful emails, whoever was behind the messages crossed a line. Back in 2015, 16, 17, I was like, I'm just going to put this guy over in this bin over here, and he's going to go away. And he did not. It escalated and escalated. A new Gmail address got through with a threat to me, as well as tying my son into it. And that's where I hit my limit. I finally reported it to authorities. And they said, can you send us some of the examples of his emails? And I said, okay. Because at this point, we don't know who he is. I opened up my trash on my work email account. And it was just a sea of emails from this man. I had not gone into my trash account. I didn't realize that all of the blocked emails were still coming in, sometimes three, four, five of them a day. On days that I wasn't even working at the radio station, I have to reiterate, I did not have my own show. But he would copy the bosses, the viewer line, the listener line, the news director, all of my colleagues, and all of the people I would have as guests on the show. He was copying in everybody with jodyswallows at gmail.com. I was horrified. I was mortified. And I started to get unnerved by the veracity of how he was coming at me. It was clear he hated me. I don't know this person. And then people started letting me know that there's a guy named Richard on Puget Sound radio boards that is just going off about you. And I, I reported all to the police, reported all to the police. And the police couldn't really do anything because they said, we don't know who this is. Then in 2020, COVID hit. With Trump's re-election bid intensifying and disinformation around COVID rampant, the news media was receiving more vitriol than ever before from people outraged by public health measures, and public health officials themselves were all of a sudden center stage. And then one day, this particular email got through to me with a threat, photos of myself photoshopped from my social media that were photoshopped with a communist flag on the mask on my face, a concentration camp photograph, warning myself and Dr. Bonnie Henry that punishment is coming, even death. Jody's harasser started CCing more people, sending his messages to guests on her show, including doctors and biomedical researchers from across Canada and the U.S., and even people that she reacted to or retweeted on her Twitter account. One of those people was a Vancouver-based social media and internet expert who occasionally appears in local media to talk about his work. Yeah, my name is Jesse Miller. I've owned Mediated Reality, which is a social media education company based in Vancouver for the past 15 years. I also teach in post-secondary, and a lot of my work is around talking about how human beings interact with the internet. I started noticing that after, let's say, May 2020, I was receiving a number of emails that were targeting not only my perceived expertise, 
but just the general theme of what I had to say on air. I was receiving these emails that were targeting me somewhat violently in the sense of the theme, lots of capped words and content that was really reflective of you are going to be held accountable for your expertise. You are part of the World Economic Forum buy-in. You're part of the elites and a lot of content that, you know, at some point I just kind of started dismissing. But after about six months of emails, I did a program with Jody, and she had sent me a note. Hey, thank you for coming on the show. And I, I joked with her and I said, I just mentioned to your producers that after 10 minutes of, of airtime, I should only wait 10 more minutes before I get these emails back that are filled with ire. And she said, oh, I didn't realize you were getting those. And I said, yeah, they happen almost every time I do a program in the past year. And she said, oh, I've been getting these for years. Jesse has a very particular set of skills that most other guests on radio shows likely don't have. He's an open source intelligence researcher, a research specialty that involves finding things online that are hidden in plain sight. It's a skill set that allowed him to dig deep on a case like this. I do a lot of open source investigation training. I've trained the RCMP, I've trained municipal police across Canada. And part of the work in threat assessment is you look to see whether or not there are means to a threat, means to follow through on these threats. And so with one of these emails that had come in, they were all anonymized and they were very kind of targeting to me as a person, but they weren't very creative in the sense of unique usernames or anything like that. I started kind of digging in to see whether or not there was anything that could identify who this person was. And I found something that correlated to previous content online that would potentially give me an individual. Jesse wanted to know who was behind the emails, but he was also looking for details that would help him to get the attention of the authorities. If the police were going to do anything, they needed to be convinced that there was a legitimate threat. And he found just the thing. And because one of the emails not only was sent to me, but was also sent to our British Columbia Health Authority, Dr. Bonnie Henry, I felt that at this point now I could actually reach out beyond calling 911 or a non-emergency line directly to the legislative police and say, I've been receiving these emails. This is where they're targeting me. This is where they've been targeting individuals who are not me, but also here's where they now are targeting our provincial health officer. Do you see anything that you can do to help minimize this? One of the emails that was directed towards me and the provincial health officer did have a connection to a post on a forum about 20 years ago, a username that was similar. And this was a firearms website where people who are legally purchasing firearms parts, things like that, would highlight individuals that they could buy parts from. And so one of the posts indicated that a person had bought some firearms parts from an individual in British Columbia who was using this username on the website. This was now attached to that Gmail account and gave me a full name. Now, the thing is, is that we use this like way back machine of the internet and try and identify things that have kind of disappeared. This was a cached website that, you know, you won't find in a normal Google search. It was finding one little thing that attached to a real name, the real name then attached to a real Facebook account, the real name attached to a spouse identifying on the Facebook account as married to. And that name was Richard Oliver. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
it is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens every morning because I don't know in any given day if I'm going to do anything that I'll consider good. You know, I might do I might do some bad things. I might do some things I'm not proud of. I'm not getting into detail here, but you know, when you go to bed, you want to know that you did something good and it's good to take care of yourself. Nutrition is good. And if you begin the day by mixing this green powder with water and drinking it, you've done something good for your nutrition, for your body. It erases all of your sins for the rest. Of, I don't know if it does that, but you know what it does? It delivers you vitamins and minerals and it helps your gut health. It's just something that you are doing to respect yourself and your health and your body for your own sake. And for the people around you who rely on you to stay healthy, I don't know, try it out. Have a look. It really takes all of the different vitamins and supplements that you might take and it just, it's just one. It's just one thing. It just makes things simple. AG1 every morning. I'm not a doctor, okay? But vitamins, minerals, I think that that's settled science. You need that stuff. So if you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go have a look at athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. One more time, that's athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Richard Oliver is 53 years old. According to his lawyer, he's an online trader. He's married with three kids, all aged 10 years or younger, and he has no prior criminal record. And I will never forget this day because Jesse is the game changer in my story. He phoned me and he goes, grab a pencil. And he had name, address, phone number, marital status, number of children, everything. What he did for a living, everything. I knew who this was because of Jesse Miller. I then reached out to the legislative uh, police in British Columbia and said, here's a person that I firmly believe is the person who's responsible for these emails based on these events. And here is where I think this could potentially be a threat, not only because of the nature of the emails I'm receiving, but 
as a person who has a firearms license, I recognize the responsibility that goes in that space. The idea that I know that every day I'm subject to a criminal record check to see if I have any negative interactions with police, if there's any reason why my firearms license should be revoked, I know the same responsibility exists for anybody else who has a firearms license. So because this person potentially was selling firearms parts, did have access to firearms, now some of these threats seem more viable. I decided time to put a report together And here's where things get a little bit difficult for me. We've constantly told people over the past 15, 20 years, you know, if you're having an issue with somebody on the internet, you know, reach out, look for help. But calling 911 and saying, hey, I've been receiving emails or threats on social media that are making me feel unsafe. Traditionally, we have police who say, well, you know, minimize your settings or, you know, go private on your account or, you know, you know, be careful in how you share things. And this is one of those moments where I'm looking at it going, I have a firm idea of who this person is. I can see a legitimate threat to safety based on the combined correlation of documents. And I'm also now believing that if I just call 911 and say, hey, I feel unsafe, this is something now that will just kind of be dismissed. But if I use my network of individuals, and I have a feeling this report can go somewhere. So what does it take to get the police to actually do something about online harassment? It's often not enough to simply show that you've been harassed or even threatened. In this case, we may never know which one of the many details finally motivated the cops to take action. It could have been because Jesse tracked down the harasser's real identity, or it could have been because he told them that a public official had been threatened. And perhaps it was because there was reason to believe that Richard Oliver possessed firearms. Or maybe the reason why police took Jesse Miller's report about Richard Oliver more seriously than Jody's is because Jesse Miller is a man. And so a couple of days later, I received a phone call from the Vancouver police. They had received the report from the legislation police and said, you know, Jesse, we've worked with you before. There's validity in this report. We're going to run through it. And as these emails continue to come in, please send them directly to this constable. Now that constable then took other emails from other people, the same individuals who are receiving the same ire from this person, and they did their due diligence. They started going into telecom reports and comparing IP addresses. They did all of that legwork, and they asked for a period of time. Every time you receive an email, every time you receive something that's making you feel like this might be this person, send it our way, and we're going to do the investigation. And that's what they did. And then I had to resist the urge to do the human thing, which is to call this person and say, I found you. I'm going to hold you to account. I didn't do that. I'm really glad I didn't. I also didn't go on social media and scream his name because that wouldn't have helped either. I thought, okay, if I follow every possible rule here, if I follow, if I stay within the lines of the justice system, justice will be served. I'm going to do this right. I phoned the police. I made sure they had all of the emails that I had on file. I did all my due diligence. I reported it all. It took forever. It took a year. It took way too long for it to be escalated, for the police then to tell Richard Oliver to stop contacting me. And he continued to contact others about me, which ultimately would see him arrested. But then things moved over to the domestic violence and criminal harassment detectives unit at the Vancouver Police Department. And that's where things got very real. That's where I felt incredibly supported. That's when a case was built for five counts of criminal harassment with a boatload of evidence. And the story pivots and changes from there when it goes to the Crown. Once things went to the courts, not everything turned out the way Jody hoped it would. 
five counts of criminal harassment and years of emails was reduced down to one count of criminal harassment and only a number of months, a handful of the evidence that was available to the Crown. The original charges against Richard Oliver alleged that he had harassed Jody over a five-year period from 2016 through the fall of 2021 and four other people over different periods in 2020 and 2021. That's what was handed over to the Crown as we have evidence of these offenses. At first, I had a veteran Crown prosecutor reach out to me and go over things and, you know, warn me that it was going to take a lot of time, which it did. And she was incredibly helpful. And then I had a new Crown prosecutor take over at one point. And she kind of came at it in a, in a more like, are you sure you don't want to drop these charges kind of way? Like the defense attorney, I guess, was asking for a peace bond where he just apologizes and we forget about it. And I had to say three times, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. We asked the Crown about this, and a spokesperson declined to comment, saying, Conversations with complainants and witnesses in a case are regarded by the BC Prosecution Service as confidential, and we will continue to regard them as such. When they warned me that a trial would be difficult, and I, I'd have to go through it all again, and I said, I'm ready. Let's go to trial. Let's put this all in front of a judge. I want change. I want meaningful consequences for this individual. I want a deterrent in Canada against people who would harass. But I believed in that moment that there would still be consequences based on the bigger picture. I was horrifyingly wrong, terribly wrong. The case never went to trial. The Crown and the defense worked out a joint agreement in exchange for a guilty plea. There are many reasons why prosecutors seek plea deals, including alleviating the court's time to help keep the justice system moving forward. On March 10, 2023, the court convened to decide on a sentence. Because the Crown and Defense had already agreed on the terms, this was supposed to be a matter of simple procedure. The Crown prosecutors said that the whole thing would only take about 20 minutes. At that proceeding, Jody read her victim impact statement to the judge. Here is part of that statement. This is where the rubber hit the road in my story of how Mr. Oliver's relentless abuse impacted my life. I surrounded my home with security cameras and I added safeguards, new locks. I swapped out the license plate on my car regularly. I even changed vehicles. I would drive to and from places taking different routes and I'd watch carefully who was around me at all times searching for a stalker. Mr. Oliver's photo had to be distributed to my son's school. I had many meetings with administrators at schools during a pandemic, adding extra stress to my young son's life. We had to warn his circle of friends, explain to them to be cautious and have parents be aware. Imagine this little kid with that stress on his shoulders. I carried that weight. And while we were put on the 911 immediate response list, no one really wants that to be needed, ever. We lock our doors when we are home. The harassment laid out in this court is all too common. The targeting of women, Journalists, scientists, healthcare workers, people working hard to make the world a better place. For those of us suffering at the hands of a criminal, we must pivot from victim to growth and a new mission to help others who find themselves in the crosshairs of misogynist hate. This experience has left me older than my years and angry at what was taken from me and my family, but wiser. 
No sentence can bring back the tender time with my son, a time stolen by Richard Oliver. He was just a boy. Innocent. When the defendant's photo was put up in that school office, he was just a boy. When there were meetings to ensure that he understood what to do if he saw Richard Oliver, warning a small child to immediately run to safety. She directed the rest of her statement to the man who harassed and abused and tormented her for years from the safety of his home. I hope your children never suffer what you put mine through. Even now, here, where you admit your guilt, my hope is that you get the help you need, that you find what is broken in you, that you might target someone like me. Hardworking, conscientious, and a tenacious mother, a member of the media and a contributor to community who you have never met until today. I hope you find and fix what is broken in you, Fix the thing that gives you pleasure attacking anyone in this way. I know that from this day forward, the darkness will lift. I see you. I know that all of your actions were rooted in triggered politics and jealousy. You want what I have, and you will never have it. I'm keeping it, and I'm going to use my voice to ensure that people like you lose every time they target people like me. Today is the day that I fulfill the promise I made to you when I asked you to stop emailing me. I told you that I would see you receive consequences for your actions. Criminal harassment is what you admit to here today. After that, Oliver had his chance to address the court, and then the judge was expected to sentence the accused according to what had already been agreed to in the plea deal. A conditional discharge with 12 months probation, including counseling, a 10-year firearms prohibition, and an order prohibiting Richard Oliver from ever again contacting Jody. But Jody says things turned out a little differently. The judge was clearly not pleased with how this all had unfolded in real time. I could tell that from how he was reacting to my victim impact statement as I was reading it. Because he sat down not knowing anything about this case, right? And then he started hearing of it. And then the Crown Prosecutor submitted some of the emails. And I'm talking like just a handful, like very few. And the judge was sort of shuffling around. And I watched him shift in his chair a number of times as I laid out what I experienced. But I was able to say to this judge, this is what happened to me because of this person. And then once my statement was complete. And then when Richard Oliver went up and as directed by his lawyer in real time to not read the double-sided small type pages that he had in his hand and abbreviated it and still managed to quote the Bible. While Oliver's lawyer emphasized that he understood his client's conduct was inappropriate, he attempted to contextualize it as part of a larger, heated discourse around COVID and vaccinations, and highlighted what he saw as an asymmetry, quote, that there's a bit of an imbalance because the media has the opportunity to discuss these things and then are upset when they are responded to, end quote. He also said his client hadn't directed his attention towards Jody herself or, quote, the fact that she's a woman, unquote, although some of the messages that made reference to Jody and her sexuality might suggest otherwise. When Oliver addressed the court, he said, quote, 
While I don't agree with most of what Jodie Vance says, I have to acknowledge what she says is her own opinion. And if I want to challenge that opinion, it needs to be done in a more civil way that conforms to our civil society. Unquote. He then recited a passage in Romans about God's wrath and apologized for any grief his emails may have caused. The judge was supposed to then just take the joint agreement and sentence right then. And the judge said, I'm going to take a recess. I'm going to pause. I'm going to need to see those emails. And then he said, let's take 30 minutes. So when we re-entered the courtroom, he was visibly more stern in his posture, in his delivery. He was now in full mode of, I have a better understanding of this. In his sentencing remarks, the judge made a few comments on the nature of Oliver's crime, saying, quote, The frequency and tone of the communications with Ms. Vance constitutes an aggravating factor. Mr. Oliver continued to harass Ms. Vance after she requested him to stop. What is particularly troubling is the effect the offense has had on Ms. Vance's family and the actions that had to be taken to protect her son from a predator, including at school. To state that this offense has had a significant impact on Ms. Vance and her family is an understatement. As someone with young children of his own, I hope that Ms. Vance's eloquent words have an impact on Mr. Oliver over his predatory actions. The judge then cited three passages from a 2016 Supreme Court of Canada decision saying that it was his responsibility to accept the joint agreement and sentence as already worked out between the Crown and the defense. He was basically saying, my hands are tied here. Because of this, and because of this, and because of this, I sat there and my heart was beating. As the sentencing was almost done, one of the lawyers present pointed out that something was missing. The agreement prohibited Oliver from going anywhere Jody might be, but it didn't say anything about stopping him from going places where her family could be found. This was important because, as you'll remember, Richard Oliver had directly threatened Jody's son. Attorney Lawrence Myers pointed this out to the court, and the sentencing was amended. But here's the thing. Myers was not the Crown Prosecutor. He was in court defending the accused, his client, Richard Oliver. You know, I don't even know how to put it into words because I don't want to cast blame at what is clearly a junior Crown Prosecutor taking on a case that I believe um, she did her best, but her best didn't serve what this case merited. So I don't want to cast blame on the Crown prosecutor. However, she didn't have that in there. Obviously, Lawrence Myers, the defense attorney, is a veteran and savvy at this and knows his client. So I look at that as, you know, there is uh, serious decency within this process when somebody goes, hey, by the way, why don't we just like make sure her family's in there too, as the person who's defending someone. When all was said and done, Richard Oliver would not go to jail for what he had put Jody Vance and her family through. It's taken me seven years to meet face-to-face -face in a court of law and have my say with my victim impact statement. It was a long, long road to there, and it was incredibly disappointing to see the failure of our justice system. And I don't blame Christina Gallo, and I don't blame, you know, Judge LaPrairie. I don't even blame the defense attorney doing his job. He certainly ran circles around the Crown prosecutor in getting this joint agreement put through because the consequences are basically a slap on the wrist, if that. But I still had to see it through. I had my day in court. 
Jody isn't done. She and Jesse Miller will be suing Oliver in a civil suit. And the lawyer who was recommended to me immediately responded and said, absolutely, this is a case that we would look to take on. And it would be a precedent setting case in British Columbia because it would be the first ever online criminal harassment civil suit to be brought. I think that's very important. That precedent could have a ripple effect in Canada. Online abuse, harassment and threats have been a growing problem for years, disproportionately affecting women, especially racialized women, and especially racialized women working in the media. It makes me emotional to think of because I think of the Erica Eiffels or the Rachel Gilmores, the, the young black indigenous people of color, the women who are getting so much hate right now and how much their lives are being impacted by that and nobody's really doing anything to protect them urgently, it shouldn't take seven years to make somebody stop harassing you. Last summer, a number of journalists were targeted in a hate-filled campaign of abuse. Among them were Rachel Gilmore, formerly of Global News, Saba Aitazaz, co-host and producer for the Toronto Star's daily news podcast, This Matters, as well as Erica Eiffel, a columnist at the Hill Times. We spoke with Erica about her experiences. It really began last summer, and it started off with an email on Canada Day. And I thought it was at least innocuous enough to like ignore Saba got the same email and somebody else got the same email on the same day. Fast forward about a month later, six weeks later, we got a bunch of targeted emails with like rape threats and death threats and misogyny and deep, deep anti-blackness and racism. You know, telling us that basically we have a target on our backs and, you know, they were pretty sinister. And Erica feels that going to the cops about this harassment isn't useful. It's a waste of time and emotional energy. There's a whole group of women who are affected by this. What's clear is that police don't know how to deal with it. And they're not interconnected enough on this issue to actually do anything. The structure is such that you go into local law enforcement you report, and it stays at local law enforcement. There's, like, no attempt to, I don't know, forward it on or to maybe, like, an online hate crimes unit or something where they can map out the structure of these organizations, who they talk to, who they're involved with, who funds them, that kind of thing. Like, that's what we should be doing. Law enforcement only started taking this seriously once we made noise online. For the first time ever, by the way, newsroom got together and signed an open letter calling on the minister and law enforcement and so on and so forth to do something. Both Rachel and Saba tweeted about long wait times on the phone to file police reports, and what seemed to be a general disinterest from the person on the phone in what they were reporting. I asked Jody what she thought could be done to improve her experience with the justice system. I think with the abundance of evidence, similar to what happened with me, it would be very simple to have swift and meaningful consequences. Do it again, it's $1,000. 
Do it again after that, it's 10,000. Do it again after that, it's 100,000. There are your deterrents. There's no jail involved. There's no trial involved. It's like a parking ticket or a speeding ticket. You do that, you get punished. Swift and meaningful consequences. With harassment, it's pretty clear. But law enforcement should have the ability to say, you know what? I know who that is. Their IP address tells us they're this. We can contact that person and tell them to cease and desist. And if they don't have $1,000, $10,000, or $100, you know what? You don't get to get a driver's license. There's a way to make it a deterrent as opposed to an ongoing, ever-growing legal bog down of our justice system. And I do want to add one more thing. Canceling people isn't the goal here. Counseling people should be the goal. People who come after others in a harassing way need help. It's not normal. It is also not normal to be harassed. And people who are suffering harassment thinking they just need to tough it out because it's now normal need to go back to, it's not normal. This needs to be fixed and it needs results in expedited fashion because this is a massive problem and it is affecting the mental health and well-being of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across this country. That's your Canada Land episode. And if you liked it, if it left you feeling a little bit smarter or more informed or thinking about stuff, I want you to think about helping us to make it. If you do, you're going to get a bunch of stuff. Premium access to all of our shows ad-free, early releases, exclusive content. You'll get an exclusive newsletter, discounts on merch at our store. You'll get tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything else, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. And you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody else. You can email me about this show at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. This episode was reported by our audio editor and technical producer, Tristan Capicione. Editorial assistance by Jonathan Goldsby. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. I'm your host, Jesse Brown, and our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Follow them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. 
but not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.